do you still know me i asked the woman looked at me searchingly she had opened the door a chink i came closer and stood on the step no i don't know you i'm mrs s's daughter she held her hand on the door as though she wanted to prevent it opening any further her face gave absolutely no sign of recognition she kept staring at me in silence perhaps i was mistaken i thought perhaps it isn't her i had seen her only once fleetingly and that was years ago it was most probable that i had rung the wrong bell the woman let go of the door and stepped to the side she was wearing my mother's green knitted cardigan the wooden buttons were rather pale from washing she saw that i was looking at the cardigan and half hid herself again behind the door but i knew now that i was right well you knew my mother i asked have you come back said the woman i thought that no one had come back only me a door opened and closed in the passage behind her a musty smell emerged i regret i cannot do anything for you i have come here specially on the train I wanted to talk to you for a moment. It is not convenient for me now," said the woman. "I can't see you. All the time." She nodded and cautiously closed the door, as though no one inside the house should be disturbed. I stood where I was on the step. The curtain in front of the bed window moved. someone stared at me and would then have asked what i wanted or nothing the woman would have said it is nothing i looked at the name plate again dorling that said in black letters and white enamel and in the jam a bit higher the number number 46 as i walked slowly back to the station i thought about my mother who had given me the address years ago it had been struck in first half of the war i was home for a few days and it struck me immediately that something or other about the rooms had changed i missed various things my mother was surprised i should have noticed so quickly she told me about mrs dorfink I had never heard of her but apparently she was an old acquaintance of my mother whom she hadn't seen for years she had suddenly turned up and renewed their contact since then she had come regularly every time she leaves here she takes something home said my mother she took all the table silver in one go and then the antique plates that hung there She had trouble lugging those large vases. 
and I'm worried she got a crick on her back from the crockery. My mother shook her head pityingly. I would never have dared ask her. She suggested it to me herself. She even insisted. She wanted to save all my nice things. If we leave here, we shall lose everything, she says. Have you agreed with her that she should keep everything? I asked. As if that is necessary, my mother cried. It would simply be an insult to talk like that and think about the risk she is running. Each time she goes out of her door with a full suitcase or bag. My mother seemed to notice that I was not entirely convinced. She looked at me reprovingly and after that we spoke no more about it. Meanwhile, I had arrived at the station without having paid much attention to the things on the way. I was walking in familiar places again for the first time since the war, but I did not want to go further than was necessary. I did not want to upset myself with the sight of streets and houses full of memories from a precious time. In the train back, I saw Mrs. Torling in front of me again, as I had the first time I met her. It was the morning after the day my mother had told me about her. I had got up late and coming downstairs I saw my mother about to see someone out, a woman with a broad back. This is my daughter, said my mother. She beckoned to me. The woman nodded and picked up the suitcase and as a coat rack. She wore a brown coat and a shapeless hat. Does uh, she live far away? I asked, seeing the difficulty she had going out of the house with the heavy case. In Marconi Street, said my mother, number 46. Remember that. I had remembered it, but I had waited a long time to go there. Initially, after the liberation, I was absolutely not interested in all that stored stuff and naturally I was also rather afraid of it. Afraid of being confronted with things that had belonged to a connection that no longer existed, which were hidden away in cupboards and boxes and waiting in vain until they were put back in their place again, which had endured all those years because they were things. But gradually everything became more normal again. Bread was getting to be a lighter color. There was a bed you could sleep in unthreatened. A room with a view you were more used to glancing at each day. And one day I noticed I was curious about all the possessions that must still be at that address. I wanted to see them, touch, remember. After my first visit in vain to Mrs. Dorling's house, I decided to try a second time. A girl about fifteen opened the door to me. I asked her if her mother was at home. 
No, she said, my mother is doing an errand. No matter, I said, I'll wait for her. I followed the girl along the passage. An old-fashioned iron hanukkah candle holder hung next to a mirror. We never used it because it was much more cumbersome than a single candlestick. Won't you sit down? asked the girl. She held open the door of the living room and I went inside past her. I stopped, horrified. I was in the room I knew and did not know. I found myself in the midst of things I didn't want to see again but which oppressed me in strange atmosphere or because of the tasteless way everything was arranged because of the ugly furniture or the muggy smell that hung there. I don't know. But I scarcely dare to look around me. The girl moved the chair. I sat down and stared at the wooden tablecloth. I rubbed it. My fingers grew warm from rubbing. I followed the lines of the pattern. Somewhere on the edge there should be a burn mark that had never been repaired. My mother will be back soon, said the girl. I have already made tea for her. Will you have a cup? Thank you. I looked up. The girl put cups ready on the tea table. She had brought back, just like her mother. She poured tea from a white pot. All it had was a gold border on the lid, I remembered. She opened a box and took some spoons out. That's a nice box. I heard in my own voice. It was a strange voice. As though each sound was different in this room. Oh, you know about them. She had turned round and brought me my tea. She laughed. My mother says it is antique. We have got lots more. She pointed round the room. See for yourself. I had no need to follow her hand. I knew which thing she meant. I just looked at the still life over the tea table. As a child, I had always fancied the apple on the pewter plate. Use it for everything, she said. Once we even ate off the plates hanging there on the wall. I wanted to so much, but it wasn't anything special. I had found the burn mark on the tablecloth. The girl looked questioningly at me. Yes. I said, you get so used to touching all these lovely things in the house, you hardly look at them anymore. You only notice when something is missing because it has to be repaired or because you have lent it, for example. Again, I heard the unnatural sound of my voice and I went on. I remember my mother once asked me if I would help her polish the silver. It was a very long time ago and I was probably bored that day or perhaps I had to stay at home because I was ill or she had never asked me before. I asked her which silver she meant and she replied surprised that it was the spoons, forks and knives of course. And that was the strange thing. I didn't know the cutlery we ate of every day was silver. The girl laughed again. 
I bet you don't know it is here either. I looked intently at her. What we eat with? She asked. Well, do you know? She hesitated. She walked to the sideboard and wanted to open a drawer. I look, it's in here. I jumped up. I was forgetting the time. I must catch my train. She had her hand on the door. Don't you want to wait for my mother? No, I must go. I walked to the door. The girl pulled the drawer open. I can find my own way. As I walked down the passage, I heard the jingling of spoons and forks. At the corner of the road, I looked up at the nameplate, Marconi Street. It said, I had been at number 46. The address was correct, but now I didn't want to remember it anymore. I wouldn't go back there because the objects that are linked in your memory with the familiar life of former times instantly lose their value when severed from them you see them again in strange surroundings. And what should I have done with them in a small rented room where the shreds of black of paper still hung along the windows? No more than a handful of cutlery fit in the narrow table drawer. I resolved to forget the address. Of all the things I had to forget, that would be the easiest. This was the address by Marga Minko. in Holland and she leaves all behind to move on to resolve the address